If you don't already have your Bible open, you might open it to Matthew chapter 3. There's a lot that comes to mind that I'd like to say by way of expressing my appreciation for the invitation to be here and for the opportunity to present some lessons to you through Wednesday night. And Lord willing, as Tony said, there'll be opportunity maybe to say some more as we go on. But for the sake of time, let me simply say this morning that I am grateful and thankful, and I am glad to be here. I'm glad my wife could come with me today and uh, be here this morning. Now what we're going to be looking at this morning is the baptism of Jesus. Baptism is perhaps one of, if not the most controversial subjects about which we read and study in our Bibles. So many people do not believe in the necessity of being baptized. Perhaps there are some here that feel that way. If so, I hope you'll take your Bible and think and study along with me. Don't simply reject it because that's what you've always thought. And if you believe in the necessity of it, perhaps something that is said this morning will maybe give you a little more information to help you as you talk with others and try to encourage them to, to obey the gospel. When we think about the baptism of Jesus, of course, I know it's a subject about which you've studied before, but let's look at it again this morning for just a few minutes. And I want to look at it with three main thoughts in mind. We're going to think, first of all, about a couple of obstacles that were there. We're going to think about the objective or the purpose for which he was baptized, and then we'll think lastly about the outcome. When we think about the obstacles, as was just read in Matthew chapter 3, verses 15, uh, 13 through 15, of course, John objected. But before you read that in verses 7 and 8, we read that the Pharisee, many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees came out to John's baptism. And when he saw them, he said, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the judgment to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits meet for repentance. Now, just you can think about those verses alone, and they would stress the emphasis and the necessity of being baptized because there was something about the baptism of John that was connected to escaping or fleeing from the wrath to come. And so that in and of itself suggests the importance and the necessity of it. But... By way of being an obstacle, here were people who Jesus himself would later say were hypocrites. Have you ever had somebody object or reject religion on the basis of those who are hypocrites that partake thereof? Have you ever had one say, well, I wouldn't go to Babies because of the hypocrites that are over there? Maybe they will name some that they deem to be hypocrites. Maybe they're Accurately speaking, there were hypocrites that were being baptized of John the Baptist. John recognized that and called for evidence or fruit that was consistent with repentance before he would baptize these individuals. You see, every person that might want to be baptized may not be a fit candidate to be baptized. To the extent that we can know, do they believe? Are they repenting? Will they confess? Not everyone may be a fit subject. And John recognized that these that came out to him 
were not necessarily fit subjects to be baptized until they could bring forth some evidence of a genuineness of heart in their repentance. But that would be one obstacle that you might think about. Another is the one that I've just mentioned, the fact that John himself objected to baptizing Jesus. Now that's an interesting thing to think about. There is some aspect of the identity and the nature of Jesus that John did not know at that moment. Though he said, Comest thou to me to be baptized, and I have need to be baptized of you? Initially when I read that, I always thought, well, John saw Jesus coming, knew he was the Son of God, But there was some aspect of his character and his nature that John did not know. Because in John 1 and verses 32 and 33, John says that, uh, writes and says that John the Baptist, John bore witness saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven and abiding upon him, and I knew him not. But he that sent me to baptize said, Upon whomsoever you see the Spirit descending and abiding, he shall baptize with the Holy Ghost. Certainly John could have known about the sterling character of Jesus. He could have known about the superlative conduct of Jesus up to this point in time. Was some aspect of his character and his nature that John did not know until he saw the Holy Spirit descending upon Jesus after John had baptized him. So here was one who objected. Sometimes there are people who will object to an individual being baptized. Sometimes our families may object. When I was a 17-year-old teenager and went home on Sunday morning after being baptized, my father cried and said, I never thought one of my children would do this to me. Sometimes those that are nearest and dearest to you will object. But Jesus, in his perfect obedience did not allow anything to keep him from doing the will of God. He said, suffer it or allow it to be so now. For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. But not only did you have the obstacles here, you have the objective. And here's where we want to spend the majority of our time. My 15 minutes are about up, Brother Don. Have you ever noticed they never tell the song leader, you've just got 15 minutes now? It's always a preacher. That's okay. We're used to it. We don't pay any attention to it anyway. <laughs> we don't have a clock on Rome uh, on the wall at Rome. We've got a calendar. So, But what were the objectives? Why was Jesus baptized? Well, he said, first of all, suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus came to do the Father's will. He said that on one occasion, didn't he? I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of the Father that sent me. And here was a command that God was giving through John. 
that was being imposed upon all of humanity there in that area where John was preaching. And it was becoming then, it was mandatory upon Jesus as a man to listen to what God was saying. He said himself later on in John 15 and verse 10, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, even as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in His love. And so there was the keeping of the commandments of God that Jesus honored and accepted and with which He complied and thereby continued to abide in the Father's love. In Matthew chapter 21, when Jesus was teaching in the temple, there were those who came to him and asked him, By what authority do you do these things, and who gave you that authority? And Jesus responded, not by refusing to answer, but by making his answer conditional. He said, I'll answer you if you'll answer me one question. And I paraphrase that a little bit. But he then asked this question, John's baptism. Whence was it? From heaven or men? Now, folks, you can take any Bible doctrine, so-called, that is taught, and it falls down into one of those two categories. It's either from heaven or it's from men. They recognize the seriousness of that question and the dilemma into which they had been placed. On any number of occasions, they had tried to entrap Jesus with their questions and their tempting words, and they were never able to so do. And on this occasion, he turns the table. They refuse to answer. Because they recognize if we say it's of men, we're afraid of the people because they consider John to be a prophet. We say of heaven, he's going to want to know why we didn't comply with it. So they said, we can't tell. But you see, Jesus recognized that what John was teaching was, in fact and indeed, the word of God. And a commandment that was necessary to righteousness. Folks, there's no such thing as an unnecessary command. If God gives us a command, we're obligated to keep it. And I simply pose this question for your consideration. Had Jesus not been baptized, if he had not complied with the command to be baptized, would he have been sinless? Would he have maintained that sinless character? in refusing to do something God was commanding man to do. Now it's true that he did not need to be baptized for the remission of sins. And Mark 1 in verse 4 tells us that's what John's baptism was for. But that which proves too much proves nothing. There are those who reject the essentiality of baptism and sometimes they will use this argument. Well, Jesus wasn't baptized in order to obtain the remission of his sins. Therefore, we don't have to be baptized in order to obtain the remission of our sins. What proves too much proves nothing. Jesus did not do anything 
to obtain the remission of sins because he didn't have any. Did Jesus believe in God? And you find in your Bible where it says explicitly Jesus believed in God? I don't believe you'll find it. But the implication is certainly that he did. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 says that without faith it is impossible to be well-pleasing unto him. He that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It's impossible to be well-pleasing unto God without faith. But now go to John 8 and the latter part of verse 29. Jesus said, I do always those things that please him. Did he please God? If he didn't have faith, he couldn't have pleased God. Now question, did he have faith in order to obtain the remission of his sins? No. Then you don't have to have faith to obtain the remission of your sins. If that argument were true. But it's not. Did Jesus repent in order to obtain the remission of his sins? No. Did he repent? Not in the sense that you and I repent in turning away from sin and turning to God to live for him. But didn't he repent? Didn't there come the time in his life when he changed the direction and the emphasis of his life, he says here in Matthew 3.15, Suffer it to be so now. Look at that word now. Why now? There was something for which Jesus came into this world that he recognizes. I've often wondered, when in his mind did he know why he was here? I know in Luke 2, we read about him in verse 49 saying to his parents, Do you not know that I must be about my father's business when he was 12 years old? When he was 12, did he know then that he was here to die on a cross? Die for the sins of the world? The Bible doesn't tell us, and you and I can spend countless hours wondering about that, to little profit, but I have wondered about it. When did he know? But in Matthew 3.15, he says, suffer it to be so now. That for which he came into the world is right out here in front of us. Some three to three and a half years later, he'll go to Calvary. There were things that he had to do before he went to Calvary. He said, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. And so in that sense, there was repentance. In that, he turned his life away from that which he had been doing for the first some 30 years to the accomplishing and the fulfilling of the purpose for which he came. But he did not repent in order to obtain the remission of his sins. But that doesn't mean I don't have to. You'll find over and over again where he makes a confession, if you will as he speaks often of his father, his father, my father. So he was baptized in order to fulfill all righteousness, not in order to obtain the remission of his sins, but in order to provide for the remission of ours, that he could go to Calvary 
as a sinless sacrifice in our place. But he also was baptized in order to identify with us. Hebrews 2 and verse 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Just a verse or two later in that same chapter he will say that he verily took not on himself the nature of angels, but he took upon himself the seed of Abraham, that he might be made like unto his brethren. He identified with us. He was to be called Emmanuel, that is, God with us. John 1.14 The Word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld His glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He identified with man. Hebrews 4.15 He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. And so Hebrews 5 and verse 9 says that he was made perfect and he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. He was made whole or perfect or complete in identifying with us and in submitting himself every kind of temptation that you and I face without sin, to accepting and complying with every command that God imposed upon man, though he did not need the blessings of forgiveness that were attached to some of those commandments and conditions. He accepted and complied with all of them in order to identify with us Now, when we are baptized, we identify with Him. Romans 6 and verse 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us as have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into His death? Verse 4, Therefore, being buried with Him by baptism into death, Did you notice the absence of the personal pronoun before death in verse 4? We are identifying with His death, Romans 6, 3. But in Romans 6, 4, we are being baptized into our death, death, a death to sin. We identify with Him. Galatians 3, 26 and 27, You are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That's where you put him on. In Colossians 3.12, buried with him by baptism and raised up through faith in the operation of God. With him, with him, with him, into him, into death. You see, we're identifying with him. 
we are not and cannot be so identified without being baptized. That's how you get into Christ. The only verses in all of the New Testament that tell us how we get into Christ, Romans 6, 3 and 4, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, and Colossians 2 and verse 12. That says 3, it should say 2. First mistake I've made all year. That's the objective. That was the objective of his being baptized. Ours is to then begin to walk in newness of life. And that brings us then to the outcome. Immediately when Jesus came up out of the burial in that water of Jordan, the heavens opened up. The Spirit of God descended in the form of a dove. And then the Father spoke from heaven and said, verse 17, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. God did not call Jesus the Son until after He was baptized. He's never so called by the Father until after he was baptized. God expressed his acceptance and his pleasure with what Jesus did in being baptized. And that would be no less true of you and me this morning. When we accept what he has said as being the word of God and comply with that condition to be baptized as a demonstration of our faith, God will be well pleased. And when he was baptized, he then began that three to three and a half year period of his personal ministry. Immediately he was driven out into the wilderness to be tempted. Spent 40 days and nights there. From there he went up into Galilee and spent a period of time. And you've studied all about the life of Christ, I know. But it was after he was baptized that he began that intensive service to God to the end of going to Calvary. And it is when you and I have been baptized that we, according to Romans 6 and verse 4, arise to walk in newness of life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away, all things are become new. It's in Christ where you become a new creature. How do you get into Christ? You're baptized into Christ. Now that baptism is predicated upon faith and repentance and a confession of that faith. But you're baptized into Christ. You become a new creature you begin then to walk in newness of life. You may reform your life. You may break bad habits and replace them with good habits. But we do not get rid of the stain of those sins until they've been washed in the blood of Jesus. Revelation 1.5 When we're baptized, Acts 22.16 and Ananias told Saul of Tarsus, Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins. The blood of Jesus is the agent 
that washes our sins away, Revelation 1.5. But that agent is applied when we are buried by baptism into his death, into our death, to sin. The baptism of Jesus was a significant event in his life. It marked a change as he moved out of that more private life to the public life. It marked the change as he began to live in such a way that would eventually bring him to death at Calvary. It ought to do that for us. If you've not been baptized into Christ, would you not think this morning about doing so? Do you believe in God? That's a wonderful thing to do. Some don't. But did you know James says the demons also believe and tremble? What sets your faith apart from theirs? God directs you to set that faith apart by repenting. Acts 17.30 Confessing your faith. Romans 10.9 and 10 And to be baptized. When you so do, you'll be following in the footsteps of Jesus. Though not for the purpose that he was baptized, the remission of sins altogether. But nonetheless in his steps. If you've done that, and you've slipped back into a life of worldliness, negligence, indifference, rebellion. We serve a, a merciful and a loving God. Peter says he's not willing that any should perish, Second Peter 3, 9. He wants us to go to heaven. But we also serve a God that is just and righteous. And he cannot condone sin even in the lives of his children. And if we've slipped back into a manner of life, of sin in any way, the cure for that is to repent of it. Confess that to be the sin that it is. To the extent that it's public, let brethren know about your repentance. We're going to talk about that, Lord willing, Wednesday night. 1 John 5, 16 says, If a man sees his brother sin a sin not unto death, he shall ask and God shall give him life. If your sin is public and you respond this morning, people already know what your sin is. You're letting people know about your repentance. So prayers could be offered on your behalf and you might have life. Do you need to do that? If you're subject in any way to the Lord's invitation this morning, and it is our prayer that as we sing to encourage you, you'll come.